have a friend that's retired as a preacher. I listened to him speak, I believe, at the camp one, one year, and he was talking about special sermons, and he said, uh, he said, I don't do that. You know, he doesn't speak about patriotism on the 4th of July, around the 4th of July or fathers on Father's Day, and he doesn't talk about mothers on Mother's Day. I thought he needed some brain work. <laughs> I think it's only appropriate to think about the things that are going on in our time and our place. I know somebody says that Mother's Day was invented by the card companies to, to sell cards. I, I don't care where it came from. That's not really true. But I don't care where it came from. I think Mother's Day is one of the most important days of the year. It may, it may not be my favorite holiday, but it is among the top ones. And I've told many times, we used to go to my mother's rose garden around Mother's Day, and we would pick a rose. And in those days, you commonly wore a red rose if your mother was alive and a white one if she was deceased and so forth. But those days are perhaps long past us for many and for most. But it's still a very special day. I did receive a phone call, and you guys are not interested in everything that went on in my life, but let me tell you one more thing. One more thing. From a, a fellow preacher this last week, and he asked me the question. He said, Russ, what are, you, what are you preaching Sunday? He said, are you preaching about mothers? I said, oh, yeah. And he went on to tell me what he was preaching, and I went to sleep before he finished. But he said, what are you preaching at Sunday? And I said, oh, I said, I call it Mama Said, Mama Said. And he said, ah, will you send me that outline? I said, well, I, I will. You really want it? And he said, I said, yeah. He said, I really want it. I, he said, I want to put it in my file. And I said, I've got one of those files. It's right next to my desk. Some call it the round file. And all, but hopefully if I sent it to him, it, it was something that he would He did tell me he appreciated getting it. I want to share with you the thought today because it is Mother's Day and it is a very special day in many respects and many spending time with their mothers that day. Some of you even here with your mothers today. I want to think about something and how important mothers are, I guess, and maybe that makes this a little bit different and it's a little bit different approach. It's not truly the, the biblical evangelistic message we top, typically think of, on us, but God made mothers and I think that's an important thing to think about. We'll come back to Proverbs 23 in just a moment. But I was thinking about how that in youth and as we grow, there, is, there may be nothing more power-driven or influential in our lives than the words of our mothers. They at times can strike fear. They express kindly love. Sometimes they bring out of us just simple compliance because of who they are. There is no doubt that their words are there. We may act like we ignore them. We may dismiss them at times. It may appear that they go in one ear and out the other. But I think we remember them. We recognize what a mother has said. We remember what she said. We may go against it in our lives at times. We may go in different directions. But it has a way of getting to us and even maybe building guilt on us. So some of you old folks may recognize the title of the lesson today. And remember the popular song sung by the Shirelles in 1961 when they sang, Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. 
Well, I know we're not going in the direction exactly the song was talking about, but aren't there days that you stop and you think, yeah, Mother knew about days like this, good ones, and sometimes the not so good. But with that said, I'm reminded that there's a bond that men will never know. There's a bond with a mother that men will never know that she has with those who are her children. And yeah, our society may claim that there's no real difference between men and women, and that men and women can easily transition, I shouldn't say easily, can transition into the opposite gender. And there's a lot of talk about that, a lot of consideration. There's a lot out there. Yes, there are therapies, there are surgical procedures that can be done that can make a man look like a woman and a woman look like men. Yes, there are hormones that affect the processes of the body and so forth in a lot of ways. And yes, even as they move in an alternate direction, yes, I know that I am ignorant of many of the aspects that are involved, so I'm not inviting the statements that say, you don't know what you're talking about. So I want you to please understand, I know that there is a lot of information out there, and there's a lot of it available today, growing rapidly around us every day. There's a lot of information about transgenderation, about the personal struggles of gender identity, and, uh, and that's available to anyone who wants to do the research. There's a lot of information on that subject, or those subjects. But all of that discussion is beside the point. That's not the point I'm making. Not to endorse some other things, but that is not the point I'm making. I'm not talking about that today. Because even those who acclaim the most feminine aspect of those of us who are of the male gender, we will never know the physical, biological, time-engaged, personal bond that is generally formed between a mother and her much-loved and desired child. We have our own, that's true, and we can talk about that some other time. But we'll never know that particular bond from a mother's perspective. Still, there are things that we can know about that very important person, and that's perhaps why we do, we think about this on days like this. We know about that very important person and the relationship that was divinely ordered and put together between us and the one called mother. Listen to the words, the Proverbs. Proverbs 23, picking up in verse 22, and I know it begins with the idea of the father. He says, listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. There's really good advice. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Then, listen to this line. Let your father and mother be glad and let, here it is, and let her who bore you rejoice. That was my underlining in there. Let her who bore you rejoice. That's biblical. That's biblical instruction. That's important to know. 
So let's think about mothers for just a few moments here this morning, just a few moments, because we need to think about her because she is. She is something. She is God-designed and God-ordained. Mothers, I think, now here's my opinion. Mothers may be God's finest work. Some said he worked on men a while and couldn't get that right, so he made women, and they finally got it perfect. I don't know whether I go quite that far, but you think about what went into the designing of this person who was to be a partner, the helper, to the one he had already created. He needed something, and so he created woman. And I think it's not by accident that the first woman is called Eve. It just simply means the mother of all. For even with the sin that is brought, and you can read the story, and we recognize the serpent and the temptation and the eating of the fruit and all of that, even with the sin, the woman was still to be the hope by being the ordained bearer of life. That's what the Lord tells the serpent. And so the work of being a helper may in some senses and some societies may be considered to be demeaning in some way, but how could anything, how would anything ever be accomplished if we didn't have helpers? So there is an important point. And in our times and in our place, there is an important point. Because we may expect a lot out of women we expect women to be all in all these days. We expect them to be everything they possibly can be in every aspect. And, and I don't think there's something wrong with, with reaching beyond, reaching greater heights, doing more things, gaining more things, doing the things. I don't have any problem. I don't have any idea. I don't, can't see anything wrong with that. But I do know this. I do know this. But when you get down to what God specifically gave, not by limitation, but God gave to woman a place and a job. Think about that. She may be many other things, but God gave her something specific in life. God designed, God ordained. And, and for most of us, she is the first love of our lives. Within the ancient cultures and even many more modern ones, mothers are the prime nurturers. They are the ones that, that care for the children. Not only do they give birth to the children, but they are the nurturers of the early years of life. I think about Hannah when, when uh, she finally has Samuel, this child. And she tells her husband, I'm not going up to Jerusalem with you yet. I'm going to hold on to him until the time is right. So until he's weaned. But until the time is right. That's a great story. And you know what I was thinking about this week? Actually, Kyle, I was thinking about a lesson you shared. It wasn't that the lesson was any good. <laughs> no, I was thinking about the church in Ephesus. And you talked about the first love business. And uh, I, I shouldn't make fun of it. But I was thinking about that idea and that first love. That primary love that foremost of loves and how that really in our lives we're never able to completely get away even if we want to never really completely able to get away from the bond of that first love 
I'm talking about with our mothers. She is the first love of our lives. She is also the guardian. By nature, she is the guardian. She protects you from danger. She watches you carefully. Even while she, she pushes you into the world from birth on, a mother is always pushing forward. You know what my mother used to say whenever I'd, she would come and visit a congregation where I was working? She would tell the leaders of the congregation, she'd say, make him work. I'd say, mother, go home. Leave me alone. <laughs> Don't tell them things like that. She's pushing. I think the job of a mother in part is to push, is to push outward and push those children outward. But at the same time, there is that that protective nature think about Moses and being hidden away by his mother and I guess by his father as well but primarily by his mother for those months those three months keeping him hidden for a time and then finally she puts him out and puts him adrift they're to be cast into the river well she cast him into the river but what did she do she made something that would hold him keep him alive and keep him floating pushing out but guarding all the time all the way how many mothers have watched their children attempt a sport, an action, whatever it might be, put themselves in a position to be out there where there might be a failure, there might be a flaw, they might get hurt, they might not do well, people might make fun of them or whatever it might be. But mothers have watched their children with that heart's desire for them and held on to that. The guardians, and yet still knowing they need to be out there and doing and perhaps most of all, she is that lasting influence on the conscience. The lasting influence on your conscience. How many times have you thought in your mind? I think about my mother's been dead for 21 plus years and all that. But there are very few things that happen in life that I don't stop and think about what she would think. She would think, what would she say? What would she want me to do in this? Sure, my dad too, but my mother, because she was strong and she offered those thoughts. She is a lasting influence that marks your conscience in life that even, as I said, when you go contrary to what you know your mother would want you to do, you, you still have that thought in mind. And consider how often a successful person, a sports figure, or somebody who's being interviewed for one thing or another, when that person is interviewed, will reference, maybe with just a high mom, but will reference, I owe it to. And they mention their mothers. There's a quote that lasts with me from the, the old movie, I Remember Mama. And it may be in the book as well, not by the same title, but in the book from which the movie came. But here's the quote, and let me share it with you. As she writes, For as long as I could remember, the house on Larkin Street Hill had been home. Papa and Mama had both been born in Norway. But they came to San Francisco because Mama's sisters were here. All of us were born here. Nell's the oldest and the only boy. My sister Christine and the littlest sister Dagmar. And then the line. First and foremost, I remember Mama. Mama said, Mama said. It sticks with us, doesn't it? Why am I telling you that today? Why spend some time on a Sunday morning at worship? 
Because God designed this. God put it in motion. God made it to be. God gave us this opportunity. God gave us this privilege. And those who can be and share that wonderful bond. And I know not everyone gets that and not everyone can. But it is, we just recognize it is a very special, special bond. Now picture with me, if you will. Picture with me, if you will. Here is the dying Savior. He's on the cross. And as John records it for us, he looks down and he sees Mary. She was there. She was there. She was there at the foot of the cross. She was there with some of the disciples of Jesus. She was there. And he looks and he tells John, Behold your mother. And we've, we've explained that. We've talked about that. And he's giving it over to her. But there was more than that involved. Think about the simplicity and the beauty and the profundity of the words that are involved there. As he looks at John and he says, Behold your mother. He doesn't look down and say, Take care of her. He says, Your mother. It is a bond. It's a very special thing. I know we don't tend to think of a mother following her 30-year-old son around, making sure things are right with him, but she knew Jesus was special. She knew the opportunities there, and she was there at the cross. Think about how hard it was for her. Some think that Joseph may have been deceased and she was dependent on Jesus. I don't know, but she is there at that cross. She was near at other occasions in his work. She was there in Canaan of Galilee at the wedding feast. She was there when she was worried about whether he was eating. She was there again and again, I think, throughout his ministry. And she was there. Where would she have been otherwise? When he was dying on that cross. And what it embeds into us if we're willing. What it gives to our hearts and minds if we're willing in this. is the embedding of a real sense of power. Don't demean the mother. For there is really great power in being a godly mother. For in being a godly mother is to be honored by her children at any age. I love the words of Jesus when he's responding to the society around him after he's talked to, to those followers of John the Baptist and they've gone away and he talks to the people there for a little while and he says, here's how you behaved. You didn't respond to John and you're not responding to me and the different methods that they're using. But he offers a proverb. Wisdom is justified in her children. I think you ought to take that one home with you and think on it a little while. Wisdom is justified in her children. The power of a godly mother is that which can be and should be and must be honored by her children at any age. And maybe the message there is more to the children than it is to the mother. Yes, if she's already that godly mother, but it is to the children to recognize you show what you learned from your mother, if you did. But the power of a godly mother is also seen in recognizing that she sees and believes the future of what can be. She begins with the, that 
basic child growing inside her and that brought into this world into life she sees what that child can be she looks at that child she sees the marvel that has been brought into their life and sometimes she's frustrated and sometimes she's angry and sometimes she's excited and sometimes she's so deeply touched with emotion but she sees and believes in the future of what that child can be what mother hasn't looked at her child and said I want to believe in the best that can possibly be It believes in the power of what that child can be. And you can think again of Mary when she says, I'll be the handmaiden of the Lord to serve God's purpose and bring this child into the world. It also means that she can be the most powerful evangelist in her child's life. I know we, we talk about fathers. We talk about bringing up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But there is no voice more powerful. There is no more powerful evangelist. There is no more powerful evangelist in the world than a mother. That mother sees her child. That mother is around her child. That mother cares for the child. The mother feeds the child. The mother shows her life to that child every single day. There is no more powerful evangelist. And there's no room for neglect in this. And there's no room for ignoring it in this either. When Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, he says, I know the faith. I know the faith that was in your grandmother and your mother. That was in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And he says, and I want to believe, I do believe it is in you too. The greatest evangelists in the world are the ones that sit around the table with their children. She can be and must be the most powerful evangelist in a child's life. And let me give you just one more. You see it there. Let me give you one more. It's an unending job. It's not one you ever wash your hands of. You may not be able to interact. You may not be able to touch as much. You may not be at the table with them as much. But you never cease being the child's mother. As I said, we'll talk about fathers another time, but you never cease being that person's mother. And those of us who've had godly mothers and those who are, who are now deceased and so forth, we don't go without them. And their influence is still there. It is an unending job. The old spiritual song says, in one of its verses, in part of the verses, I'm going there to see my mother. She said she'd meet me when I come. I don't know what the reunion of heaven exactly will be. I don't know exactly how that will be, but isn't that a marvelous thought to know that your mother would be there waiting for you? I think there is something we need to know and need to be reminded every single one of us. We do not outgrow our mothers. Oh, at times they may be old-fashioned. They may not be as educated, or they might be more, but maybe they're of lesser education. Maybe they're limited in some ways of time, experience, or, or even age. Maybe they're even, dare I say it, wrong once in a while. But remember without this God-ordained, God-designed situation, we would not be here. 
There is a tough story in 2 Samuel 21. It's kind of a lengthy story, but in the end, it comes down to there were seven sons of Saul, seven family young men of Saul's family who were hanged by David. Rizpah was the name of a mother of two of those who were hanged. And when her sons were hanged with the others, Rizpah placed herself, stationed herself on a cloth near to the bodies that were hanging. She didn't take them down. She didn't feel like she could. But she stationed herself near those bodies day after day, day after day, keeping away the predators, the vultures, to protect the bodies of her sons and her nephews. That What I'm telling you is even in death, you don't cease the caring. The elderly lady was, I believe, 93 or 94 at the time. And I stood out here at the cemetery with her in a graveside service that was taking place. As I said a few words over her second son, she had two sons, and both of them had died. And she said the words that have been said by others many times, but as I stood there with her for a moment, and she said, mothers are not supposed to bury their children. And I understand that, and you do too. Because that love transcends the life that exists even here. Rizpah is an example that shows us that. God ordained it. God gave us this special privilege, opportunity, beauty, relationship. And for those who are able to have it, it's a great and a blessed thing. It is a responsibility and it's a challenge. And for those of us who look to those who gave us this life, those mothers who bore us, it is a responsibility. And so I'm glad there is a Mother's Day. And I've got to believe that it is fitting with the overall picture that God gives of Christians, of relationships, and of families. And so I leave you with this little reminder that the power of a mother's words are best found in the dedication she has to God and that she then shares with her children. Wisdom, Jesus said, is justified in her children. That's you and me. We're going to sing this song of encouragement this morning, Let It Be, a song of invitation. Yes, we haven't talked about what it means to become a child of God. Kyle shared us several thoughts with that before the Lord's Supper. Some of the songs we sang pointed to that very thing. We're reminded that our hope, our salvation, and the only promise of life is found in Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone that's considered this morning that you need to obey the gospel, that he'd be baptized into Christ based upon your, your faith, repentance that's turning to God, your confession of who he is and the obedient act. If there's someone who needs to respond this morning, let us help you with that or any needs you might have. We stand ready and anxious to assist you this very day. If you need to come, do so while we stand, while we sing together.